Again, you are here with us today, and just Merry Christmas Eve to you. So excited about Christmas tomorrow, and as we begin our time together today, I just want to ask you a simple question, and it's simply this, about Christmas, what did you expect this Christmas to look like? How many of you expected another COVID variant to come right before Christmas, right? Like you're like, oh man, that is not what I expected. Some of you maybe are expecting and hopeful that that gift that you've been waiting for, all the kids here, I want you to think with me, what's that one gift you've been craving, wanting, telling your parents about? What's that, that one thing that you're just hopeful for? You're hopeful that it's going to come and it's going to be there. There's this expectation that you may have in regard to that. It may be that your expectations have been met. You are hoping to see family, and good news is you've gotten to see family, and that's so exciting. But as we think about expectations, and as we think about it in light of Christmas, I think oftentimes what we do when it comes to Christmas time in the Christmas story, I think we forget how the expectations of people who were waiting for this Savior in the Messiah to come, what they were thinking it was going to be, their expectations, and what reality was, didn't meet up. It wasn't like a Hallmark movie. You know, no, no knock on the Hallmark movie fans out there, right? I like, I like a good Hallmark movie. But oftentimes, we think of it like, okay, so, you know, Jesus shows up, this goes this way, this works this way, and then all of a sudden, everything works out just like the people thought it would work out. It goes just perfectly to plan. But when you read the, the Christmas story, it's less like that, right? It's less like that. And it's, it's more like another Christmas movie like Die Hard, right? Like there's just this crazy adventure. There's this rescue mission that's there. And I know some of you are like, no, Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. But it happens during Christmas. Wherever you, you fall on that, all this is to say it doesn't go exactly the way we think it would go and, and should go. In fact, the prophet Isaiah, as we've been in this teaching series, Vintage Christmas, he really lays out for us really what this Messiah and Savior was going to look like. And this is 700 years prior to Jesus coming on the scene. I want you to listen to what the prophet Isaiah says. It says this in Isaiah 53. It says, Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. And the prophet Isaiah says there's nothing about Jesus that we look at him and say, wow, you're very attractive and we're drawn to you by your appearance. There's nothing per se majestic about him that we look at who he is and how he comes into the world. We're like, wow, clearly you're a political leader. You're a king. You're going to overtake and you're going to overtake Rome and, and those religious leaders who are leading people astray. He doesn't look that way. He doesn't look that way. In fact, it says that he was a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. He was rejected. He was despised. He was held in low esteem. 
And so if that describes your expectations of Christmas and what's happening and how you've been disappointed and, and how it hasn't lived up to what you thought it would be, and you're experiencing pain and sorrow and suffering, I just want you to know Jesus is very familiar with those things. And he comes near to you. Whatever it is that you're, you're walking through in this Christmas season, on the eve of Christmas. But I want you to know he comes near to you in that. And we don't have to pretend it's one way when it's another way because it says very clearly that he is the man of sorrows. He is a man acquainted with grief and suffering. He knows it well. He knows it well. And he wants to walk with us in what it is that we are experiencing. Well, then it goes on to say this and what the prophet Isaiah would proclaim as he's foretelling the coming of Christ. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by who? Punished by who? Punished by who? So considered him punished by God. You can't go wrong in church when you say God or Jesus, right? You know, you're, you're in good shape here. By God, stricken by him and afflicted. So they saw what was going on and what was to come with Jesus, and they thought he was being punished by God. And he goes and lays this giant butt on them. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And what it says here is that we thought it was God doing this to Jesus. But no, what was happening is Jesus was putting on himself what we deserved, what we could never earn or perform to receive from God, a right standing with God, the forgiveness of sin, joining God on the purposes that he has for our lives. But it says that our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. So our transgressions were put on him. Our iniquities were put on Jesus. And the punishment that we deserved was brought upon him. And it's through the finished work of Jesus, his life, death, burial, and resurrection that we have peace. We have the peace that we could never earn or provide for ourselves by performing, but that God himself has given to us. But the means in which he does it doesn't line up with the people's expectations and often doesn't line up with our own expectations. And so as we think about who this Jesus is, I want to just ask you this question. What do you expect Christ to look like? What do you expect him to look like? Because I think oftentimes what can happen is we have a preconceived notion of what we think Jesus should look like. We've heard it from some church leader or on a podcast or on a television show or a book we read. But oftentimes we haven't taken thought to what does he really look like? What does he look like? Because when we see Christ for his fullness, then we see God the Father. It says that when you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at his ways. And I think what it does is when we study the ways of Jesus and we see him for who he is, it puts in perspective our lives and even our experiences and expectations and our preferences and what we want versus who he really is and how he deeply, deeply meets those longings and desires of our hearts. Because again, 700 years before Jesus is going to come, Isaiah foretells 
about what this Jesus is going to look like and what he's going to bring. But then when you get to Matthew's gospel, you find this really interesting story. And it's one of my favorite stories because what it does is invites those of us who aren't yet there when it comes to following Jesus, but to be a person who genuinely seeks who this Jesus is and to let that lead us to who he is, even if we have an expectation, a preconceived notion, or a preference of what he is to look like. And it's the story that's found in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 2, and it's of the wise men. And we don't know a lot about the wise men. It doesn't tell us a lot about them. We know that they were not Jewish of descent, and they were not those who were, were brought up in Judaism. But we know that they knew enough about the Bible, and many scholars believe it was the times of Daniel, as these magi were, were trying to overtake Daniel and lead him astray and falsely accuse him, but how Daniel then won them over, this people group, that they started to study the scriptures. And as they started to study the scriptures and started to search and understand, they started to connect dots, and God started to show up in ways that didn't make sense to the people of that day. He started to use things that the Bible speaks out against, like astrology, <laughs> like stars. And, and yet he shows up in ways again that we're like, that does not make sense to us. But he shows up in these profound ways. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up with me to Matthew chapter 2. Listen to what it says. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And so what we, we hear happening is that these, these magi, these wise men, oftentimes people think it's three people, three, three men, but that there's nowhere within this text beyond that there are these three gifts that would state that. Many think that actually it was more people that were with them to seek out who this king of the Jews was. They, they saw the star, right? It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Came to Jerusalem. And they're asking, where is the king of the Jews? We saw the star when it rose. We saw it. And it says that they've come to worship Jesus. They're genuinely seeking this one who is called the king of the Jews. The king of kings and the Lord of lords. But notice what Herod's response is to this. What does it say about Herod? How did Herod respond to this? What was the word? He was disturbed. He's disturbed. This isn't to be confused with, I'm excited, right? Just want to clarify. Like, this isn't like, hey, uh, he was disturbed. He felt threatened. And when you study Herod, you know he's a very paranoid king to the point where he actually had both of his brothers executed. I mean, this was a guy who often uh, would do things out of paranoia, and he was a puppet king for Rome that would rule over Jerusalem. But he was disturbed. He was disturbed about news of King Jesus. Now, I want you to notice two groups of people, the Magi and Herod, both had affluence, both had intelligence, both had the ability to influence others. But in the midst of, of doing so and having that within them, there was two different responses. One came to worship, and the other was disturbed and threatened by King Jesus. And so here's a question for you as we think about that. Does the king and kingdom 
of Jesus disturb you? Because I think oftentimes we read a story like that, we're like, yeah, that Herod, I can't believe him. Can you believe that? But then we start taking inventory in our own life, and Jesus is saying, hey, I, I want access to the whole thing. You know, in everybody's house, they've got that one room where they store the junk, right? You know what I'm talking about? You know, like they got, they got that, that one room, that one place, that garage. It's not looking like it, it should or we want it to look like. And I think oftentimes in our lives, we have that, that one area in our lives where we like to project what we want to look like versus what we really are like. And Jesus is saying, hey, I want access to every part of you. I don't want anything off limits to me because I love you and I'm for you. And Christmas tells us that Jesus came near to us, right? We just, we heard this incredible verse through the Advent reading, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. He did that out of love for you. He loves us so much so that he gave himself for us. So he's not trying to withhold something from us. He's trying to give us something, but we have to receive it. But I think oftentimes what can happen is we, again, have that one area we're not willing to hand over to. And then the other thing that I think is really dangerous within the church in particular is we have a select view of who Jesus is. We like to cherry pick verses and sections of Scripture, verses looking at the whole of Scripture that tell us about who this King Jesus is. And what that does is it in, in, inevitably creates a Jesus that's in our own image. And even though we could use scripture, and we could, hey man, I got a couple Bible verses here, I'll sprinkle here. We forget, that's what Satan did too, right? When he tempted Jesus, he quoted scripture. How did Jesus combat that? He knew the whole of scripture. And you know what? I think in order for us to really know this Jesus in his kingdom and to give him access and not to be threatened, we need to get to know him. And so I want to invite you to just give him access because I think it's tempting to be like Herod and when we're disturbed, when he's coming at things in our lives that we hold on to as sacred, and we're not going to trust him with, with those things, we actually hinder ourselves from experiencing the life we were created for in Jesus. So again, does the king and kingdom of Jesus disturb you? Because it's easy to quote, like I said before, a podcast, a scholar, a, 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 a person of influence, a think tank, this or that. Man, when's the last time you, you quoted the word who took on flesh and dwelt among us? When's the last time you, you could say, hey, what does the scriptures actually say about this? When's the last time you could do that? And I think when we take inventory of our lives, that's one of the ways we can look deep within to say, hey, who, who's leading who? Is King Jesus leading this or am I trying to lead this? Am I trying to overshadow who he is and what he's come to do in my life? Well, it goes on to say this here in Matthew 2. It says, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But to you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so what we hear is happening is not only was Herod disturbed, but others were disturbed. The scholars believe that where Jesus actually was born from this place to where, where they would end up being, so where, where Herod and, and his people were, it's about five miles away. And yet they didn't come to, to see 
who this Jesus is. They weren't interested fully in seeing King Jesus for all that he had for them and all that he desired for them. And yet, you hear these magi, these non-Jewish people coming and quoting scripture. And you notice they, they quote Micah 5.2. And as they quote Micah 5.2, they say, hey, listen, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, you know, as we look at where this is taking place, as far as where Herod is, and then you compare it to, to Bethlehem. Bethlehem was a, a lowly town. In fact, the Moravians, when they chose the name Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, they chose that name because it represented the Jesus way. Not only was he born in Bethlehem, but how he came into the world, how he came in as a lowly child, a lowly baby, and he came for a lowly people like you and me. He didn't come to be served, but came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that this place, as the Moravians would go on to say, is really meant to be a place for not just those who have power and might that often Jerusalem would draw, but the people who often were discarded and forgotten about. Bethlehem. Bethlehem. And I think it's an important picture that we see that Jesus coming lowly shows us actually the greatest picture of true power and significance and how he would come. And so as we think about that, here's, here's a thing that I just want us to not miss as we read that, that Jesus came lowly to a lowly place in a lowly people. He came for people like you and me. So, so Jesus came lowly. Again, he came as a servant to a lowly place and in a lowly people. He came for people like you and me. And it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you have or don't have. It doesn't matter who you know or don't know. In Jesus, he says, hey, I've come and I've come to pursue you. I've come on this rescue mission. I've come to not only pursue you, but to provide for you, again, what you could never provide for yourself. And so as we look at this Jesus, I don't want us to miss how he comes. He comes with great humility. He comes to serve us. He comes to seek and to save that which is lost to invite us back to what we once were before brokenness came into the world. That we would walk in the full measure of His love for us, but to experience the image bearing that we have as we are made in God's image. And again, we're not perfectly going to do that until He comes back, right? As He comes back in His second, second advent. But again, we are meant to be a preview of that coming day. Well, it continues on here, and it says this, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. It continues on here. It says, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. What's that word again? Say it with me. Overjoyed. And this is like joy times four. This is like joy upon joy upon joy upon joy. They're overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, 
they returned to their country by another route. And as you, you hear this incredible story, they, they follow the star, they see Jesus where, he's, where he is, they come and they, they come to worship. And they know, as they've been warned, Herod genuinely did not want to come worship. He wanted to take King Jesus out. And you can follow that along when you read the rest of Matthew 2. But I don't want us to miss what happens here. God shows up in this incredible way. And they come bringing these gifts, this gift of, of gold, which speaks of royalty, frankincense, which is, is this, this idea of, of this aroma that would be offered as aroma for a sacrifice. And, and then you see myrrh, which is part of the burial ceremony. And again, it would help with that stench and that smell of death. But again, they offer these gifts. They offer these gifts and, and they come and they bow down and they worship. And I just want you to get this picture because these are people, again, who had great power and influence and recognized who they were standing before and who was right before them. And I don't want us to miss who this Jesus is, who's right before us. Because when we see Jesus for who he is, he not only fulfills our expectations, but he even goes beyond that. Which leads us to this point, that Christ exceeds our expectations for Christmas. Because so many times we have a limited view, we have a narrow view of what Christmas is meant to be. And again, not the guy that's anti-cookies and movies and <laughs> all the trappings, I'm all about those things. But when we see Christmas as less of just a day when we celebrate with family and more of a response to what was given, that we give gifts because he gave the ultimate gift, right? We're only giving as we've received. We only love because he first loved us. But when we see Jesus and we experience his ways in our lives, it exceeds our expectations for Christmas. Now, I want to just clarify that our expectations get reoriented when Jesus is king and we're about his kingdom in our lives. They get in its proper place, in a proper perspective. And as we are able to see him for who he is, there's this joy that is ours. And as this joy that is ours is found in Christ, it allows us to approach things that are sad and difficult with Jesus. As he's our peace and life circumstances are unpeaceful, we find a Prince of Peace that is our peace in those times of trouble and difficulty. When things look bleak, and they have been looking bleak for some time, and I've talked to several lately, just, man, they've lost loved ones, and it's hard. It is hard right now. I mean, I'm just going to be really honest with you. Just as I'm trying to walk with people and hearing what's going on, and my heart breaks for them. And to be able to hold on to hope that Christ says, hey, it wasn't meant to be this way. Death wasn't meant to be a part of the original story. But that in me, I am the life and the resurrection. Whoever believes in me will not die. In other words, will live forever and ever with me. And we can have hope that isn't this fake optimism. <laughs> but gives us this confident expectation of what's to come. Again, Christ exceeds our expectations for Christmas. And so as we think about this, I want to ask you, as you think about the responses, there were several different responses, both by Herod, the Magi, other people within this story as well, as, as we see their responses. But I, I really want to encourage us to be thinking about 
in light of this story, what's our response? And so the first one is, is this. Are you overjoyed by Jesus? Are you overjoyed by Jesus? Joy upon joy upon joy upon joy. Are you like, man, Jesus. It's all about him. I'm, man, I love this Jesus. You know, like, I'm excited. Woo! I'm fired up, right? Are you, are you overjoyed by Jesus like the Magi where they were overjoyed by him? But then the other part of this, I want to just ask you to consider, will you put your trust in Jesus and give him the gift of your life? See, these men came and they worshiped Jesus. They, they bowed down low. Again, these men of power bowed down low because they understood who was before them. And as they bowed down low, it was a picture of submission and recognition of who was before them and their faith and their trust in Jesus. And I want to ask you, if you haven't yet, would you consider today putting your trust in Jesus? Will you make a decision to say, today is the day I'm putting my trust in Jesus and I'm going to give him the gift of my life. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust what he has done for me that I can never do for myself. His life, death, burial, and resurrection. I'm putting my faith in him. And as I put my faith in him, I receive a right standing with God. Forgiveness of sin. Joining God in his activity, not only in my life, but in the world that he's created. And seeing things restored and made new. And so again, will you put your trust in Jesus and give him the gift of your life? And maybe you're not ready to do that. And this one's for you. This next one is, will you seek the Savior through the scriptures. I know some of us here are not there yet. We're not where the Magi are. We're not ready to bow down and worship. But you can do what the Magi did before they got to that point, which is to search the scriptures and to genuinely seek to know who this God is. To search the scriptures, and as they search the scriptures, it led them to a conclusion. And that's why here at Riverbend, even today, you're not going to hear me get up and just spout out my opinion or my thoughts or my takes or whatever. We're always going to open God's Word. We're going to always open the Bible. Because as much as I have to say about something and as many opinions as I have, which I do have many of them, there's something greater than my thoughts and my opinion. And that's the Scriptures. That's the Scriptures. What does God's Word say? The, the Word that took on flesh and dwelt among us. What does it say about our lives? And I want to invite you to study for yourself. Open the Gospel of John. Go back through past sermons that we've preached here at Riverbend. You know, we're going to be doing some things online these next two Sundays coming up. But join us January 9th in person. Watch online and then if you're comfortable, join us in person. Continue to, to seek out who this Jesus is. Again, will you seek the Savior through the Scriptures? And then the last question, who can you share the joy of Jesus with? Who can you share? The Magi, just by the, the nature of who they were and their searching and their seeking, they couldn't help but ask Herod and the people, hey, where is he? Where's the king of the Jews? <laughs> we're looking. We're looking for the, this shepherd, this one who's going to lead the nation of Israel. They couldn't help it. And you know what? I think when we encounter something like that, we can't help out a response to what we've received. We can't help but show and tell about who this Jesus is and the joy that he's brought us. So as we think about this, I want to just invite you to pull out your phone right now. So I'm going to invite everybody to take out your phone. 
Take out your phone. I know you're like, oh, I thought this was a phone-free zone. Take out your phone. Here's what I want you to do. I want everybody to text this number with one of these responses. So you can just text this number, 484-602-5618. And wherever you are, if you're already following Jesus and you're like, man, I'm overjoyed about Jesus, that's your response. If today you're putting your trust in Jesus for the first time and you're putting your faith in him, hey, you know what? Put that in. Say, hey, I'm trusting. All you need to do is put, put that, that word and your name uh, in there. Again, text one of these responses to this number. And then the last one is seeking. Maybe you're seeking, seeking who Jesus is. So just put your name, again, in one of these responses. Text this number. And this is a way for us to be able to continue your journey and conversation with you. We want to help you if you're wherever you are in this process. Take your next step with Jesus. And Christmas, again, tells us, tells us again that not only has God come near, but that when we genuinely seek him with all of our hearts, that we're going to find him. We're going to find him. And so I want to invite you to do that. Well, let's pray together. And as we pray, I want us to just think about, again, what our response is here. I want to encourage you to just take a look at that, Robin. Let's keep that slide up just for a moment. And just, I want you to take, take inventory. And even ask God to show you where you are and for the courage to text and to put your name with one of these responses. Let's pray. Father, right now, we love you. We're so grateful for all that you've done for us. Thank you for this incredible, incredible story, Lord. Thank you for this historical (laughs) event that happened with you coming, Jesus. And oftentimes we... We glamorize what it was like that first Christmas, but this tells us it wasn't what people expected, and yet it exceeds our expectations. And so, Jesus, wherever we are today, I pray that we could be honest before you and before others. Today, maybe we're overjoyed. Today, maybe we're trusting. Or today, maybe we're seeking. Wherever we are, I pray that we'd let that be known so that we can follow up and so that we can help come alongside one another as we're sincerely considering who you are, Jesus, and all that you have for us. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for what you've done for us. And Lord, if there's anybody here who doesn't know even how to pray to put their faith and trust in Jesus, really simple. All they need to say is something like this, Jesus, today I recognize my need for you. I recognize that I have fallen short, that I have sinned, I have missed the mark. And I'm asking for your forgiveness that you provide by receiving what you've done for me through your life, death, burial, and resurrection. Today, Jesus, I'm calling on your name as my Savior. Lord, we celebrate with those who have made that decision and we look forward to walking with them as we continue this journey with each other and with you. In your name we pray, amen.